Welcome, everybody, to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. We're back once again. My name is Abraham DeWeese, back with the soul man, Brian Solak. And we have a very special guest this week. We have from the radio, from over the airways, from Seattle Sports, Bob Stelton. How's it going, Bob? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. And Bob, Good. you are, of course, the co-host with Dave Wyman, former Seahawk, on the Wyman and Bob show. And uh, you're, you've uh, worked in St. Louis, you've worked in Seattle, Chicago, California, all over the place, and you're a Seattle native, and uh, you made your way back here. And before we go into sports, we learned that you're actually a little bit of a rock star. You're, you're, a, you're a singer, <laughs> right? What's your band's name? Uh, well, there were, there were a few of them, man. I mean, you know, anybody that's played music has been in different, different bands over the, you know, you start out. I started out as a drummer, actually. I started playing drums like in fifth grade. I played the um, played the snare drum in band class, and I was a I was a huge Kiss fan. So I wanted to be I wanted to be Peter Pete Chris. Chris, yes, yeah, <laughs> the cat. And uh, yeah, I couldn't wait till I could have more than one drum because all I had was a snare drum, and I'd sit there and you know learn drum rolls and things like that. But uh, eventually graduated to a um, to a full kit, and then as I got older and started playing in bands. <clears throat> start I, I you know the hardest thing to find as a musician in a band at least for us anyway was to find a singer a vocalist and at the time I was writing a lot of our lyrics and our melodies and things like that anyway and it, you know it was just kind of a, a group meeting said hey you know why don't you why don't you just sing we can find another drummer why don't you just sing so I started taking vocal lessons and started singing so uh yeah in different different bands after that uh the one that probably had <clears throat> the most success was a band called the live and end um it was l-i-v-i-n instead of there's a punk band called the living and with a g on the end of it which we we didn't we didn't know at the time uh but yeah so we we uh had some moderate local success but you know it was uh you know, it was, we came up during the time when grunge was blowing up around here uh -huh. and we, we knew the right people. We had the right manager. We had the same manager that was managing Alice in Chains. And oh, wow. Another okay. Yeah. We had a different manager for a while who was managing Queensryche and we, you know, so we were always sort of connected to the right people, but just, you know, showcase for labels, just never, we were like the one Seattle band that never got signed. <laughs> so it was just, you know, I, I played with people, I was friends with all the, you know, I was friends with the guys in Alice and, and um, you know, the, the guitar player in Candlebox, Peter Klett was in our band and we actually ended up kicking him out. They started Candlebox and we played shows together. And then next thing I know, I'm watching them on MTV and they sell 4 million copies of their debut <laughs> record. So, um yeah, so we we uh, you know slogged our way through the clubs for years and years, and and uh, I ended up playing in a cover band to make a living. I was playing in an R and B cover band with a bunch of monster musicians who were all you know a fair bit older than I was, but just brilliant musicians. Our R and B like the old style, like uh, Stevie Wonder, or like yeah, we were playing everything. Uh, we were playing a lot of Motown stuff. Motown, we were playing okay. Earth. We were doing stuff like Earth, Wind, and Fire. We were doing Sly and the Family Stone. We were doing Temptations. We were doing, you name it, we were doing, we'd do The Doors. We would do, we'd kind of mix it up and, and uh, boy, played weddings and corporate events and just, you name it, we were the, we were the, the band. So. And, then, and then Bob, with the living end, that was more like 
what in a big box it's the grunge styles that we originally came up with yeah yeah if you were to and there's some of it on youtube and stuff back when i had you know long hair down to the middle of my chest and, <laughs> and earrings and all that but uh we were you know listening to it now i mean we were we were good we we could play and we we could write but we were sort of derivative we kind of sounded like allison chains mixed with mother love bone mixed oh, with wow. whatever was going on at the time so um you know listening to it now i can understand why it didn't it didn't get over the top because we were just kind of derivative of everything else that was going on. So we, we could play, we could, we could write, but it wasn't unique. So yeah, that was, that was my life for a long time. You were either ahead of your time or behind your time, I guess it sounds like. Yeah. I think maybe a little behind, I think because we were, we were trying to catch up with, with what was already hitting at the time. So it was like, okay, Alice is signed and Pearl Jam who used to be called Mookie Blaylock they got signed and, 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 you know, we were just kind of listening to and watching the pattern and sort of mimicking that. So I, I would say we were probably a little bit behind. Sorry, sorry, Brian. I'm just going to step in here. I just got to ask right. because we've had uh, Bill Board from Bomb Shelter videos on this show before. Did you, did you guys ever have any videos that made it to Bomb Shelter videos? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. We, we did, you know, like I said, there's some, <clears throat> there's a couple of videos I know that are on YouTube um that were put together from they're just like live videos that oh, were okay, gotcha. over the, over our studio recording so it's the studio recording but it's all live performance stuff spliced from different shows and different sound checks and things like that so never never like a big time big budget video with storyline and actors or anything like that it was just live footage so man i know your history you're probably at some of his shows weren't you i i could be that's that's <laughs> leads towards my next question did you Ever play at like the off ramp or rock candy or the crocodile cafe or yes, yes. And yes. Oh, played... wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We played at, played at, um, we played rock candy quite a few times. We, we, I think the best, the biggest show we ever played there was, uh, there was a band called Badlands, which featured the guitar player from Ozzy, Jakey e. Lee. It was the band he, he started after he left Ozzy's band. And they they had a moderate hit on MTV. They were they were in, in in pretty good rotation on MTV. So we played with them there. We played with them in Portland on the West Coast, and and um, yeah, certainly played the off ramp, played the Crocodile, the original Crocodile. We played basically every club in Seattle. You know, back then it was the Color Box, it was the Swan Cafe, it was mm -hmm. uh, you know we we'd go out and play Mad Dogs. We used to play there a lot. I mean, there's if there was a rock club out there, the Ballard Firehouse, you know, oh, you yeah. name it, we we played it. Did you okay. tour? Did you tour with anybody uh, that we might have heard of? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we played with you know, like I said, we played with a lot of um, <clears throat> a lot of individuals you've heard of, you know, that were in different bands okay. before. Um, like I said, Peter was in our band before he was in Candlebox. Uh, Peter um, Peter who? Peter Clett. Oh yes, he's a yes. guitar. Okay, gotcha. Guitar player in Candlebox. He was in our band for a bit, and then uh, for a while, Richard Stuverud was our drummer, and he he ended up playing in War Babies, who got signed and okay, and and uh, did some stuff locally. And he's he's been in a band with uh, Jeff Ament, a uh, little side project with them, and I think he actually filled in on a Pearl Jam show fairly recently. So, um, yeah, just different different people out there, different. You know, when before they broke big, we played shows with different individuals that ended up ended up going on to do great things. And I ended up, you know, 
at home watching them on MTV. <laughs> Do you live in West Seattle? Do you ever see Jeff Ament <laughs> and uh, Eddie Vedder wandering around? <laughs> you know what? I don't. <laughs> okay. Oddly enough, I, uh, I, I, you know, I used to see. We used to rehearse at the Music Bank. I don't know if you guys are familiar with what that is, but it was a, it was a rehearsal building in in uh, Ballard and it had like 50 rehearsal rooms hmm. in there and it was 20, open 24 7 and a lot of bands ended up living in their rehearsal rooms but um that that was kind of the place to be like there used to be in the lobby they had like some pinball machines and some video games and things like that and I would be out there playing pinball with Lane, Lane Staley from oh, Alice wow. Chains. yeah almost every day we'd be oh, out there the, that's amazing and the 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 funniest thing was is that is that uh, I would see him out there every day. He'd be, hey man, do you want to go play pinball? And we'd talk and all that. I don't think he ever knew my name <laughs> because he, uh, he. I remember there was a girl that we both knew came up and she was looking at some magazine or something and she she showed him a picture and goes, man, doesn't this look like Bob? And he goes, who's Bob? And she points to me and he's like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, kind of looks like you know, like he had no idea what my name was, but. I would see him every day. Be, hey, what's up, man? And he, you know, nice guy and, you know, good dude. And and um, Sean, their drummer, Sean Kinney, mm-hmm. he's he's somebody that I that I also know through other mutual friends, and I'll uh, have gone motorcycle riding with him a few, you know, a few times over the past took couple of years. He comes up here, and he's, we've got some mutual musician friends that that all ride. Uh, a couple of my friends that are in the band Walking Papers. Um, okay. Is, is so, that a current? Uh, is that a current band that you're in? I no, I'm not in it. Is that they're in a band? Oh, gotcha. Band okay, Walk. gotcha. Okay. Yeah, they're they're buddies of mine and and uh, phenomenal band by the way. Yes, for they anybody, are. Yeah, for anybody who who uh, just likes good hard rock, just no no BS. They are a phenomenal band. They were, uh, if you're not familiar with them, uh, the first two records they released, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses was the bass player. Oh wow. Um, yeah. And then. And then once Guns N' Roses reformed and, you know, on this this tour they've been doing that's been going on for seven years now, um, he left to obviously rejoin Guns N' Roses and Walking Paper still still uh, continues. And they, they are just, they are one of the best local bands or just one of the best bands, period, that I've heard. I mean, just phenomenal songwriting, lyricism, just every, they've got everything you could want. If you like good, just solid, well-crafted songwriting and hard rock they're phenomenal yeah i, I heard them at the uh, ksw's pin the grass a couple months ago and a few years ago the, the lead singer's got a phenomenal voice yeah yeah his name's uh jeff angel he's a good friend of mine and and uh he's he's one of the guys i go riding with along with their keyboard player benjamin anderson anderson and uh jeff is actually uh giving me some guitar lessons currently you know i went out and I've, I've had a guitar for a while, went out and bought a new one, but I've never really like mastered the, I, I, I plink around on it. I wouldn't call myself a player by any stretch. So he's been uh, cool enough to take time to, you know, get me started the right way. And, and uh, just a good dude. And just more, more over than that, just really, really talented, really talented. And one of those bands you hear and just go, how are they not huge? How is this band not huge? Because they've, They've toured the world. They've, you know, they toured with Aerosmith. They've toured okay. with the Stone Temple Pilots. They've played all over the world. And and it's just one of those bands, for whatever reason, just to this point, hasn't hit yet. But when you listen to them, you're like, this is this is brilliant stuff. And if you listen to my radio show, uh, 
nine out of 10 bumpers you hear going into, into segments is something that he's, it's either walking. Is that right? Papers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's his music. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. It's walking papers, uh, huh. static land, which is another band of his. And then he's got another band that he did called missionary position, which, you know, every one of those bands are brilliant. The songs are just phenomenal. So yeah, I use a ton of his stuff on my show as bumper music. So when That's you watch, awesome. when you watch the movie singles, do you ever go, I know that guy, I know that guy, I know that guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know, I know, I know a ton of people who are extras in that movie down to, you know, the girls, girl sitting on a washing machine in one seat. Oh yeah. He's and, and I know, I know that guy and I know the play, you know, the okay hotel that they filmed a lot okay. of it in and just tons of places that, you know, certainly tons of places you're familiar with. And yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the extras in that movie, I know very well. Okay. Um, my last music question is, were, did you know any members of the Screaming Trees? Just They're one of my favorite bands. I'm just curious. No. You know, I met Mark Lanigan. I, don't, okay. I would never say I, know, I knew him by any stretch. I met him once. And then uh, Barrett Martin was obviously the drummer. He was the drummer on the first two records in, uh, Walk, for Walking Papers. He okay. and Jeff started that band. So um, I met him before. I don't know him, but I, I've certainly met him before. But yeah, really, Lanigan was, you know, rest in peace. Phenomenal. Amen to that. Um, I forgot I have one more question. I, I know I've messaged you many times and I've called you Rockstar Bob. Is that your nickname or is that something the Graz came up with one night when you guys had a round of beers at the Pyramid Brewery? <laughs> that was actually something uh david Locke came up with oh okay. if you remember david Locke, we do we do yeah 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 so when 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 he uh when he first came to seattle um he you know i was i was running the board for his, his show i was okay. i was the i think they called it the technical director at the time but i was i was running the board um but he he was just kind of he was always fascinated by my musical past and, you know, just asked a lot of questions about it and was sort of fascinated by the Seattle scene and, and all of that stuff. So he, he's the one that, that uh, came up with that nickname. It was, it was me and uh, Dick Fain, who's still at, at KJR. And he called, he called, I got the better end of it. He called me Rockstar Bob. He called him marching band Dick because because apparently he played in marching band i don't yeah. remember what instrument but but he played a marching band so that those were our nicknames uh and mine stuck and i guess good for dick his did not so right so, so when did you when did you hang up the uh the cymbals and the uh the drumsticks and pick up the mic when, when did that all happen how'd you get in the radio oh boy that was uh god i'm trying to think what year that was um boy that might have been that might have been like early night like maybe 90s 90 91 somewhere around there i think that early uh, okay yeah somewhere in that neighborhood because like I, when kjr I started, first started? I started taking less uh well i wasn't even in radio then so yeah i don't uh i didn't i didn't get into radio until 90 the end of 97 i think is when i started in oh okay gotcha at KJR. So yeah, it was, I think I started singing. I don't, I don't have the exact year. I would say probably 90, 89, 90, somewhere around there. I guess what I was looking for is what, what led to the transition to radio? Uh, you know, that was kind of a, 
I kind of just stumbled into it, to be honest. I had some buddies of mine that were, um, they were recording their record and they had, they had a song that they had, they had a sound effect in the beginning. They wanted it to sound like somebody was flipping between radio stations, like the old school dial where you hear static and, you know, land in the, they wanted to land on a station. And then they had this script that they had written out and, and they wanted to be a DJ voice. And they said, you know, they're like, Hey man, you kind of have that voice. Would you, would you come in the studio and read this? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and I, I can't even remember what, what they had me say, but I had, you know, all right, welcome back. You know, I had this big pukey, pukey radio voice, you yeah. know, you know, coming up, we got five in a row coming up next. We got, you know, whatever they wrote. And I did that and, <laughs> and it got played a bit locally. And one of the, there was a program director or, or a, um, a production guy who do, does all the commercials for radio stations who, who heard it and asked them like, Hey, who is that? And it gave my name and, and asked if I'd ever be interested in reading like some, some disclaimers on commercials. And I'm like, so they asked me and I'm like, sure. You know? So I, I came into the building where it was cube KJR uh, FM. And there was another station in there. I can't remember who the other station was, but uh they had me just read some disclaim, like the legal disclaimers, like, you know, licenses and fees apply, you know, offer expires 321, whatever. And they pay me like 50 bucks or something like that. <laughs> and, and then I got to, I got to know the program director a bit and then I didn't do anything after that. And then I remember I was in a club in Kirkland that was called the shark club. I don't know if any of you guys remember that, no. but um, I, I was kind of the long haired jock. Like I grew up playing sports. I grew up you know, I grew up playing baseball. I grew up boxing, but I, but I, you know, had long hair. I was a musician. And I, so I listened to sports radio all the time. And I remember I was at the shark club and Jeff Aaron was there fish, Fisher, fish yeah. and Jeff Aaron, who was part of Mitch's show. And I went up and talked to him. Hey man, I listen all the time, blah, blah, blah. You know? And we started talking sports and he, you know, he ended up giving me his card and said, Hey man, call our producer. Uh, you know, maybe there's something you can do around there. I told him I did the, you know, a couple voice things for a commercial and I ended up calling their producer, uh, Jimmy Shapiro and met with him. And, and that's how I got my internship there. You know, mm. I didn't go the traditional route. I didn't go to college for, for broadcasting or communications. It wasn't, I was going to be a rock star. That was never the plan. So, uh, I just kind of, honestly, I just kind of backed into it. I, you know, <laughs> met, I met fish and, and. Jimmy brought me on as an intern and I interned on Mitch's show. And then <clears throat> I think my first paying gig in, in radio was running the board for the Tacoma Rainiers, <laughs> you know, just for the PA potted, potted up for the PA or radio no, broadcast. No, the board the, for the radio broadcast. Ah, okay. So it, it was okay. Bob Robertson, Bob Robertson, the, the voice of the Cougs, you know, rest in peace, Bob. And, yeah. and uh, he did the Rainiers at the time. And we were, we were the, I guess the flagship station for him there at KJR. So I ran the board, you know, and basically it was just me potting up the commercials during commercial break and potting him down. And as soon as the commercial break was over, potting him back up. And that was like my first paying gig making whatever it was, six bucks an hour or something like that <laughs> at the time. And then I just, at that point, I just started recording uh they had like side studios you could go in there and i recorded myself doing updates just doing practice updates and i would hand them to the program director and just get critiques and hey this is good this isn't good do this don't do that i just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and finally they let me fill in for somebody who was who was uh 
who was sick one day, the update guy was sick and Hey, you want to, you want to fill in? I started doing that. They let me do the overnight updates. And then same thing with shows like everyone, they let me do a weekend show. Then I started becoming a fill in when guys were gone and just slowly progressed. And that's kind of how it was, how it was born. It was never the plan. Um, (laughs) Again, didn't go to school for it was never the dream. But once I got into it, I was like, well, I don't have the background everybody has, but I'm I'm not going to get out hustled. So that, nice. that's how I attacked it. And that's how you started going around the country and practicing yeah. craft at different stations, huh? Well, yeah, because I was at KJR, and what what happened is our produce we had a producer that uh, left that was on Mitch's show that left to go work for Sporting News Radio, which was a network, and they were located in Chicago, hmm. <clears throat> and they had some. Um, they had two two slots they were looking to fill, and and they asked him, uh, you know, because at the time KJR was was known as one of the you know better sports stations in the, in the country at that point, and asked him, hey, you know, tell me about anybody there you think is good or available, what have you, and he, he gave my name, and they actually tuned in to hear me one day because I was filling in for Graz, he was sick, which is weird, uh, but he, uh, <laughs> they they. Uh, tuned in when I was filling in one day and listened and then got a hold of me and asked if I would be interested in coming out to audition. And I'm thinking, well, I've got no shot at this, but Hey, free trip to Chicago, I'll do it. You know? So I went out there with, you know, kind of nothing to lose attitude and they flew me out there and I did a show. uh, I think it was like, it was four or no, it was 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. is was the time oh, I did wow. it. Yeah, just kind of middle. They, they threw me on at a time where if I went out there and face planted, nobody would really hear it. Uh, <laughs> so I did that two nights in a row. And what's interesting is I never really saw Chicago. Like I flew in there at night, got to the hotel, had to do a show at 3 a.m., got done, went back to the hotel, slept through the day and came back the next <laughs> the next morning at 3 a.m. to do the show. Once I got done, I had to get right to the airport and fly back to Seattle and never really thought I had a shot at it or anything. I just thought, well, this is kind of a fun experience. And literally, as I was uh, at, at the airport getting ready to board the plane, the program director called me and said, hey, job's yours if you want it. Here's here's the parameters. Here's the pay, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? And I was I was blown away because I was like, I, I thought I had no chance at this. I was just happy to get an audition. So, yeah, took the job and ended up living in Chicago for five years. And then they they relocated to Santa Monica. And uh, lived in Santa Monica. I lived in Marina Del Rey for about three years. And then they were going to relocate to Houston, which I didn't want to go to Houston. And my contract was up. So I was just like, we kind of mutually said, all right, we're going to part ways here. Um, I thought I, I thought I was going to have a gig with the Clippers in LA. So I was, I was feeling confident about that. So I was like, no, I'm not going to Houston. I'm going to stay here in LA. Right. The thing with the clip Clippers gig fell through. I didn't have anything. And then ESPN in St. Louis gave me a call and I'm like, well, you got to go where the work is. I got nothing going here. So I ended up, ended up in St. Louis and was there for a little over a year. And then the guys here called me uh, because they were owned by the same company and I had flown out here for Christmas. Cause obviously my family's here and everything. I flew out here for Christmas, did a show from the station here, which is obviously uh seven And the program director pulled me aside and said, Hey, would you ever have any interest in coming back home? Oh, nice. I'm like, 
I'm like, hell yeah, I would, you know, because <laughs> I, I live in St. Louis. Are you kidding me? Yes. So uh, it was a great station, by the way. I worked for it. Say the great people, but St. Louis is uh, is not really wasn't my favorite city to live in. So yeah, that was 2011, and I've been back ever since. Outstanding. Um, I, I know we want to talk about the sports, but I'm going to go off script here and bring up MMA. Um, I know I know Abe's got a few questions for you too, but do you happen to remember when MTV used to do the celebrity death match with the claymation characters back in the late nineties? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, here, here's my question for you. Who would win between Joe Rogan, Dana White, and if they had a three way and um, Brock Lesnar? Uh, Brock Lesnar. You think you'd just destroy the, the bleep out of him or do you think, I mean, uh rogan would give him trouble dana white would be dispatched quickly uh, <laughs> okay um dana's got a bit of a back a boxing background from what i've heard i've never seen him actually throw punches so i don't know but i, I guess he used to teach a boxing class back in boston okay. uh joe rogan's a bad boy he uh he's a black belt in jujitsu he's a black belt in taekwondo he used to compete um and i've watched video of him training i've watched video of him rolling uh, so I know what he can do. I think he's more skilled than Brock Lesnar, but Brock Lesnar is just such a large, huge, powerful human being that chances are, if he, once he got his big meat hooks on Joe, it could be a, a rough go, but yeah, I would, I would lean toward Brock Lesnar in the, in the first part of that, uh, Joe would certainly be a strong second and Dana a distant third. <laughs> do you ever feel, do you ever feel nice. like uh, MMA will grab hold uh, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, I, I, I feel like it's not at the level of like, you know, maybe the Kraken or even the Sounders in this area. Uh, well, it's, it's, do I, do I think it'd be that big? No, I don't. I don't because I think it, it, it is so, it's not for everybody, you know, it's yeah. a, it's, it's a, it's a violent sport. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot, to it that is is off-putting to a lot of people you know for me i've i love it i'm intrigued by it i grew up boxing so just combat sports appealed to me and when when it started blowing up um i was even more intrigued because i didn't grow up wrestling my you know in boxing you want it to stay on your feet <laughs> you know the idea of being on yeah. the ground was was uh was not a pleasant one and so i never wrestled and in watching mma I never really understood what was happening on the ground. I would see two guys laying there and all of a sudden you'd see somebody tap. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't understand what happened. So that's, that's what got me into jujitsu, but that's, you know, I kind of came from that, that combat sports background to where I was intrigued by it. Whereas there are a lot of people that they don't like boxing. They don't want to see blood. They don't want to see guys getting hurt or women getting hurt, certainly because they both compete. Um, and then MMA, it, it looks more violent. It looks more, gruesome because you know you can sustain a cut or a, a bloody nose and because you're wrestling because you're you're you know it's getting smeared everywhere it looks like a murder scene it looks like a horror movie <laughs> when in actuality it's not you know they wipe them off and you see it's a, it's a cut the size of a staple or something it's nothing that bad but it, it's i get that it can be very off-putting to people that you know if you're not into combat sports but it is there are a lot of fighters that have come out of the pacific northwest um, that, that have been in the UFC, that have been champions. I mean, Demetrius Johnson is one of the greatest to ever step into a cage. 
and he trained at AMC down in Kirkland. He, he was from Parkland. Uh, so he's a local guy, obviously Misha Tate, uh, Michael Chiesa, you know, you've got, I mean, there's just, you go down the list, Chase Hooper is a guy who's up and coming, who's from here, who's in the UFC, Julian Rosa. I mean, I can go on and on. There's just a lot of uh, Pacific Northwest fighters. So it definitely has much like soccer and much like the Kraken, the fans are really passionate. Yep. They're, they're diehard. They, they live and die with it. But the idea of it ever being anything like, you know, the filling Mariners up a stadium or, or Yeah. No, no. I mean, you, but the UFC has been here a few times and they have, you know, they, they have sold out that building, which was key arena at the time. And if they come back, it would be at climate pledge and they've done extremely well each time they've come here. So there's certainly an appetite for it, but the idea that it would ever be anything like, like those sports on a consistent basis is, is not likely. I, uh, I did grow up. Oh, go ahead. oh sorry. sorry. Yeah. I did grow up uh, wrestling uh, for Blanchette. And then uh, found out that uh, my career was best uh, in uh, writing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't pin a lot yeah. of fellers, but um, one yeah. thing, one thing, I, wrestling's. One... I'll say this, man, is 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 wrestlers are a problem because you know I've trained jujitsu for almost thirteen years now, and oh. and you know getting in there and rolling with somebody who's got a wrestling background and maybe they don't know anything about jujitsu and they, you know, they're not going to submit me or they're not, they don't know how to defend certain submissions, certainly, but they pick it up really quickly. Like it just makes sense to you to be on the ground. That's, yeah. that's your, and Bob, I, you, 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 Bob, I heard this, like, you know, because when, when you wrestle, like I started at 12 years old, um, you're brought up in, uh, you're brought up to, conflict with other people constantly yeah. and that that was one thing that uh uh oh gosh who was it one one of um uh, rogan it was joe rogan I, I heard on his podcast and he was talking about you know uh, uh one of his guests was talking about how many matches a wrestler has by the time they're 17 18 years old and that's something that you know just uh other forms of martial arts, uh, other forms of combat sports. Uh, you don't do a match or three or four every day, you know? Um, yeah. So it's kind of just ingrained. And I always thought that was fa fascinating because a lot of the top uh, MMA guys right now have, you know, uh, high school wrestling backgrounds. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so valuable in mixed martial arts. It's, it, you know, to the point where as, as my journey in jujitsu, jujitsu, uh, went forward, it, I really saw how, how much of a disadvantage it was for me having no background being on the ground. Like I, you know, I could strike, I grew up boxing, but being on the ground didn't make sense to me. And wrestlers, you guys know how to, you know how to be heavy on top of somebody and, and, and really put weight on them and your, your balance and, and your endurance and just the training that goes along with it. You're used to that just body up against body grind of just really wearing somebody down and wearing them out and the intensity that goes along with that. And I, that's something I had to learn over the years in jujitsu. I didn't, it didn't make yeah. sense to me. I could see where your drummer background works against you. Cause when you're on some guy and you just want to play him like a bongo, maybe that doesn't <laughs> yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it, it's fascinating though. It's, it's really, you know, a, a different level of respect because wrestling never appealed to me as a kid. I was never, somebody watched wrestling, you know, like WWF or WWE or anything. I was never really into intrigued by any of that. Um, but 
again, just, just training with guys over the years that have wrestling backgrounds that were beginners, you know, I versus a beginner who had no wrestling background. I could submit those guys in, in 10 seconds. If I wanted to the wrestlers, I had to put in some effort and this guy doesn't even know what he's doing when it comes to jujitsu. So it was, you know, there, (laughs) there would be, you know, it's just a different level of aggression, different level of balance and their ability to really put their weight on you and, and, and sort of hold you down, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a definite advantage for a wrestler who gets into something like mixed martial arts or, or jujitsu even. You have a a favorite MMA interview that you would care to share over, over the last 15, 20 years. And I mean, I know, I think I've heard you interview a few on dub on uh, seven ten. but do you have a favorite interview? Uh, you know, the, one of the cool things I was, I was doing a podcast and we, we, we did it when I first started with Graz, we were doing a live segment. Um, and then I went to a podcast cause Graz didn't, doesn't know MMA and he didn't really want to get into it. So, so I just started <laughs> doing it on my own. Uh, but the cool thing was that the UFC was really good about getting me fighters each week. So just about anybody you've heard of, I've spoken with. And, uh, you know, I've spoke, I had a chance to interview Conor McGregor a couple of times. I did it in person, person at the Super Bowl. And this is before he, he was starting to blow up, but he, he's, he was nowhere near what he is now. Just the, the, the figure that everybody knows who he is, whether you love him or hate him, you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was, it was a really fascinating interview because he is, he's a very smart guy. I mean, I, I get that he's very polarizing, but he knows what he's doing. He knew ex- everything he does is incredibly calculated. Um, his he's, he's clever. And he, he was just, he was really introspective and really interesting. Like he, you know, when you'd ask him questions and, and sitting there in front of him, he was, he would give it thought. He would sit there and he would listen. A lot of times guys are, are giving you sort of, cliche answers to questions they feel like they've heard a thousand times and they just want to get through it whereas he could and i think he appreciated that a i had some background in it and b that i obviously i knew what i was talking about just being a fan and watching it i wasn't like you know they're so used to having people talk to them who who, you know somebody will put them on an fm rock station just you know because they're doing a media tour and they're handed a list of questions and so what got you into MMA and what, what's your favorite thing? To, and does it hurt? And, you know, they're used to that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, right. so I think they, they tend to appreciate when they're talking to somebody who, who knows, knows the, sport. the sport yeah, and can appreciate, you know, what's going on. So uh, I really enjoyed talking with him. Um, and that was a cool thing about going out to the Super Bowls is, is you've got actors and musicians and athletes from other sports there yeah. and they're, they're being brought around to every, every station. So I, I talked to Dana White out the super, I've interviewed Dana a million times, but he was there in person at the super bowl. John Jones was out there at the super bowl. Um, Anthony Johnson was out there. Connor, obviously, uh, you know, even boxers. I had, you know, I talked to Oscar de la Hoya at the super bowl and Floyd Mayweather and, and, wow. uh, you know, Vitaly Klitschko and, and Lennox Lewis. And, you know, so it's been, it's been really cool to talk to those guys, especially in person, but, I would say the ones that stand out have for me, Connor was a great conversation and John Jones was a really good conversation. Okay. Have, have you been able to get Patty Pimlet yet? No, no I haven't. That would seem like a good back. interview. <laughs> he probably would be. He probably would be. Uh, you know, I, he's, he's an interesting guy. You know, he's what I've, and 
you know, I watch him and I, I listen, I respect anybody that's got the courage to step into a cage. It takes a different person to do it. And even, you know, even growing up boxing and sparring would be a nerve wracking, tense thing for me, you know, and you'd get a taste of man, I can't imagine doing this for a living and getting into a ring <laughs> in front of, you know, 20,000 people. And I'm trying to take somebody out and they're trying to knock my head off. You know, that's just a different mentality to do that. <laughs> right. So any, anytime I criticize a, a fighter, I've got to be, you know, I want to, you know, put out there, I absolutely respect what they do and, and the courage it takes to do it. Having said that, when I watch Patty Pimblett, yeah, he's, he's developing a, a persona and a character and it's, it's sort of on the heels of Connor. And that's what I was a thinking. Lot of yeah. fighters, a lot of fighters have seen how Connor uh you know sort of branded his, branded himself his well created a character you know he became the wrestling heel ah he yeah calculated yeah. and and he sure. understood and he's he was clever now you get guys who do it who aren't like uh colby covington he's he is doing the same thing I, i'm gonna be a heel i'm gonna say i'm gonna try to you know piss everybody off and, and be insulting except that he's not clever so he just is is just kind of insulting and and says just ridiculous things and he's just not smart enough to do it the way but it works for him because people pay to see him get beat they want to they want to see him lose uh and patty's kind of in that same area i would say because when i watch him fight i don't think he's incredibly gifted he doesn't do anything where i sit there and go whoa this guy is the truth this guy is this guy is is a difference maker okay. he's tough he's got ability is he is he head and shoulders above the rest? No, not he's not close. transcendent. No, no, <laughs> okay. he's just he's a fun guy. I think he's fun to listen to and everything. But and he's a tough guy. He'll go in there and take shots to, to deliver shots. I can respect that. But in terms of, am I watching a a, 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 a an elite talent? I don't think I am at this point. Okay, fair enough. Um, before we talk Seahawks, <laughs> did did the Graz ever tell you about his? uh wwf wrestling days when he was a ring announcer yeah he he brought that up a time or 12 yeah (laughs) (laughs) including the georgia the animal steel i just wanted to make sure if not i was going to share with you yeah you know i i've i think i've heard every Graz story more than a few (laughs) times but but refresh my memory on this one because he's got a lot of stories (laughs) yes he does um back in the day when he was working in sacramento he used to pick up gigs announcing being the ring announcer for wwf and i guess he said the first time he met george animal steel they asked him to give him a ride home and they went out drinking at the bar blah 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 and then uh the the next time he was in town george animal he pretty much blew off george george animal steel which led to i guess the next time they came into town Graz was out there and um, he was announcing who's, I think it was Macho Man and Elizabeth and then George Animal Steel came out and he chased Graz. He, he ran out, you know, the big hairy beast that he was and he got in the ring and he chased Graz out of the ring and he chased him out of the ring. And didn't they do Graz a loop? Pretty much said he, he, the he did a loop around the ring, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Graz said he thought he really was trying to kill him. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just can't. I can't picture Graz running. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's that is a funny visual right there. Yeah. yeah I mean, Graz is Graz is such a great guy. I mean, he's yeah. one of, obviously one of my all time favorite people, and and he's got a lot of stories, man. He's got a lot of stories, and and he's a great storyteller. 
he's a great you know to the point where i'm like all right are you, are you dressing this up a bit or are you you spicing the story up a bit that it really happened this way but he's he's such a phenomenal storyteller and he's he's lived a an interesting life man he's gotten to do a lot of cool things <laughs> oh yeah and, and i think and, he's uh, i think always, he's got always, i think he's got the number one voice too like yeah in radio yeah like, he's he, he's he's got he's got a booming voice he's got he's got uh you know i always took it as a compliment when we were doing the show because oftentimes we would get texts going i, I can't tell the difference i can't i don't know which one's bob <laughs> and which one's Roz. that's and I'd awesome be like i kind of i'd kind of take that as a hey all right i like that because <laughs> he does he's he's got a boomer of a voice yeah <laughs> Uh, we're going to switch a little bit, uh, over to sports and just get a couple of your opinions on various things. Uh, number one is Pete Carroll smarter than all of us because he stuck with Gino when I don't remember anybody, zero people's saying that was a great idea. Yeah, boy, it's turning out that way, isn't it? I mean, he, uh, he, yeah, I mean, I thought, well, here's the thing is I thought, they it, it felt like just based on the way they were talking when the trade was made that their hopes were really pinned on drew lock that i think you know if you would have asked them in an honest moment back then like mm. hey you got a quarterback battle going on between these two who would you like to see come out of it i really feel like they wanted it they wanted to win that, that trade and they wanted to win it by getting their next franchise quarterback in the trade trading their current franchise quarterback so i don't i think he's clearly aware of what you know, what Gino was capable of and, and see has seen more of him than anybody else. So they, they had an idea of what he could do. Interesting thing about Gino is, you know, I've been out to a million of those practices and he never looked good in practice. There would be balls he would throw out there and you'd just be going, Oh my goodness, what is he looking at? What was that? And he kind of, I just, listen, I was one of the people going, this is, this is going to be a disaster. If they win five games, six games this year, it's going to be a minor miracle. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm not certainly by no means trying to separate from the pack. And that was the consensus. I mean, if you look at the Vegas odds in terms of wins, you listen to any talking head out there, whether it was on NFL live or the NFL network, nobody, nobody saw this coming. Um, and, and we were talking about it the other day. You got to wonder what would have happened if Drew Locke never caught COVID because that, that killed him in oh, that competition yeah. because That's he had the second, miss, second he missed the game, game that he was supposed to start. Um, he started behind the eight ball. He was new to the system. Gino had been in it for a few years. So obviously he knew everything. He knew the building, he knew the people, he knew the receivers, he had trained with them. So he certainly had the advantage going in with just the familiarity. Drew Locke was playing catch up. Then when they were getting into the, into the, uh, preseason competition, you know, all right, Gino starts this game. Drew will start the next one. Drew caught COVID couldn't, couldn't go. And that's just kind of the end of the story. Um, a lot of people thought, all right, Gino will start the season and maybe Drew Locke's going to come in in the middle of the season. Uh, but I don't think, I, you know, Pete, if, I, I feel like if he's being honest and you said, did you see this coming from Gino in an honest moment, no mics around, I, I've got to believe he'd say, no, I didn't see this. I thought he was capable. The guy can win games for us. If he plays within himself, we don't ask him to do anything outside of his strength. Yeah, he could he could do some good things out there. We're going to build the offense around what he does well, but to do what he's doing now, I honestly just don't believe anybody anybody maybe outside mm -hmm. of Gino and his family, Gino's mother, uh, yeah, could play the way that he's been playing. I mean, it's just it's the most surprising thing uh, about this season. 
along with the rookies. I mean, the, this draft class is just ridiculous. I mean, you, you, you look at what's happening, you know, John Schneider and their scouting department deserve a ton of credit because you've got rookies, not just starting, but they're starting at crucial positions that rookies tend to struggle at cornerback and tackle. And not only are they playing well, they're, they're, they're playing really well. Like they're not just Pete, when Pete wants to criticize without criticizing, you know, you'll ask him after a game, Hey, how do you think uh, Tariq Wollin did? And if he wasn't playing well, he'd go, well, he got through it. That's his answer. That's when he's being critical. He'd be like, well, he, he got through it. So these guys aren't getting through it. These guys are, are dominating and they are at crucial, hard to play positions. Not, not just for rookies, for veterans and to see what they're doing, to see what Kobe Bryant, Tariq Wollin, Abraham Lucas, and, and cross are doing is just ridiculous. And so what's going on there, Bob, did, did the last several drafts haven't been good? Like did Snyder get smarter or is this just the way things are? Like sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. Yeah, I think, well, two things, I think, you know, year after year after year, I mean, they were in the playoffs every year. So they're picking toward the bottom of the first round most of the time. Um, if they're you know, not trading down. To, <laughs> yeah, if they're not trading out of the first round completely. Uh, and then they took chances on guys. You know, Malik McDowell was a disaster. Didn't work. Uh, Kristen Michael, first pick of the second round, did, did not work. Uh, you can you, you know, there have been a lot of swings and misses with the draft. And, you know, I don't know. There's a certain amount of luck involved, too. I think you scout a guy. You do your due diligence. You talk to his coaches. You talk to players. You evaluate the physical. You do the interviews you do everything you can. And for whatever reason, some guys make it and some guys don't. And sometimes that's, you just don't, there's no way of finding that out until they get on the field. And this year I it's, it's hard to explain because, you know, if, even if you hear Wyman talk about it, he's like, if you get anything from a rookie, I don't care what, I don't care if they're the first pick or the last pick, if you get anything from a rookie, it's gravy. That's his attitude to get what you're getting out of five of them right now, five, um, I was going to ask, I was going to ask about, uh, okay. can you hear us now? Are you? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, about Russell Wilson, a friend of mine knows Denver Broncos fans asked me, why am I so fixated on the schadenfreude of it all? And I had to think about it. And I was thinking, well, Ken Griffey Jr. left in 97, <clears throat> 98, 97. Yeah. And um, I think just as a Seattle sports fan, I'm used to stars leaving. And, you know, maybe that's, why I'm fixated, but I, I'm not the only one here. It seems like everybody in Seattle is, is uh, excited to see Russell fail elsewhere. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, to me, I call it the spurned lover syndrome. It's like if a, if a girl breaks up with you, obviously your feelings are hurt. And you're going to go, well, she was getting fat anyway, or she was, uh, <laughs> you know, she, she was dumb or she, you're going to, you're going to discount whatever it was you liked about her initially. Uh, so I think it's, it's hurt feelings is what it is. And, and I remember when Griffey left, uh, that's when I was first getting into the business. And I remember people calling in, you know, same way. Oh, Griffey, he's lucky he played in the kingdom. A bunch of those home runs wouldn't have left the yard if he were playing in Anaheim or playing here. You know, it makes you feel better about it. Like you didn't really lose that much. You know, no big deal. I'm fine. You don't want to play here. Then, you know, <laughs> piss my backside, whatever. But 
Yeah, the thing with Russell is, it, to me, it's that. It's just, it's taken on a very extreme level, which I don't quite understand. I mean, you know, he's always been a kind of a goofy, nerdy guy, but Russell's not a bad guy. I mean, this is a guy who's going to the children's hospital every week. Yeah. Uh, he did nothing. You never heard a peep about him off the field. There was never trouble. There was never nightclubs. There was never drunken driving. There was never domestic violence. I mean, it's just the things that sort of plagued this league. You never thought about that with Russell. You never heard it. He would just say corny things. You would just sit there and go, is this guy real? What's going on? He's the greatest quarterback in the history of this organization. And it's not close. You don't win the Super Bowl without him. You don't get to the playoffs. Everybody. But now what you hear is, oh, well, he had Marshawn Lynch and he had the Legion of Boom. And you're right. He did. Those are very helpful. But there are only two quarterbacks that have thrown more touchdowns than him in the first 10 years of their career. And that's Peyton Manning and Dan Marino. Marshawn Lynch didn't throw any of those touchdowns and nobody on the Legion of, in the Legion of Boom threw those touchdowns. So to me, it, it just it rings a little hollow if you want to sit there and discount who he was here as a quarterback. He was he was the reason this team, especially in the past few years, obviously not last year, but the year before, almost single handedly getting you to the postseason. That, their 12, that 12 and four season. Yes, the defense was atrocious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely atrocious. So it, it, it's weird to watch because I remember early in his career, you couldn't say anything negative about him because people would lose their mind. I remember come, going on the air after a game and maybe he threw a pick or a bad pass. I'd be, you know, we would be talking about that moment, and I would say, "Man, that was that's a bad ball by Rush. You just can't make that pass." You know, something as innocuous as that, and I would get texts from people why are you being so <laughs> negative <dare> you? <laughs> what, what about the receivers it's the receivers fault why are you always picking on russ i'm like oh my god i just said it was a bad ball you can't throw it you know and i nicknamed him seattle's little angel because i was like okay i you can't ever say anything about him i mean god forbid your objective you know so it was it's just gone from one extreme where you could just never even be the remotely critical of him to now you can't say anything remotely positive about his time here. And I, do, I don't quite get the extremes other than people's feelings were hurt because he didn't want to be here anymore. Whatever happened between him and Pete and the organization happened. You know, I, I, I said at the beginning of the year, I hope he individually has a brilliant season and the Broncos go. zero and 17. That that's what I was hoping for is, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got zero hard feelings about Russell. He wanted whatever happened, happened. That's their relationship. He was brilliant. while he was here. He made the team decidedly better. He will be in the ring of honor one day. Um, right now it's just raw feelings and people feeling like, yeah, see, I told you he's no good. And now everybody's <laughs> like, he's too short. He's too this. He's too that. I'm like, yeah, a pro bowl after pro bowl, super bowl win, super bowl appearance. Yeah, you're right. He was terrible. That is funny. He, he just, got, he got too short all of a sudden, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. And then if people brought, if people brought that up back in the day, they got, they would be livid. They'd be sideways. Oh, Pete Prisco. He hates Russell. He'll never give him credit. The national media never gives him credit. He's completing these passes despite him being too, they would mock it. Oh, I guess he's too short. How did he throw that touchdown pass being so short? You know what I mean? So it's the, those same people, those same people are now the ones that are tearing him down and, you know, trying to qualify his success. And he was never really that good and blah, blah, blah. It's just, I'm not, I'm not in on the dog pile of Russell. I'm not in on it at all. I, I get it. I understand it, but it's just, uh, you know, I'm watching it just going, man, this is, you know, especially for the national guys, you know, when you hear the Kyle Brands come out and, 
and all these people just dogging him out in public. I'm just like, where were you before? Yeah. You know, now it's now it's safe. Now you can say it because everybody's saying it. You know, where were you before? You're telling me he's a big phony. I never <laughs> heard you say that before this year. You know, so it, it, it seems a little chicken bleep to me, to be honest. <laughs> Understood. Well said. Um, real quick, we're going to do a little rapid fire. I'm going to I'm going to mention a few of your coworkers over the last few years. If you don't mind giving me a couple sentences about your feelings about them, that would be awesome. Um, I want to start with Jim Moore. <laughs> Jim is uh, Jim is a unique dude, man. He Jim is is very much just I am who I am, and if you like it, that's cool. And if you don't, I understand. You know, that's kind of <laughs> that's that's sort of his attitude. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's just an aw shucks guy. He just, you know, I love Jim. He Jim would make me laugh and. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he wears who he is very proudly. He's, he doesn't, there's no pretense with Jim. You, what you see is what you get, man. He just, he'll, he'll tell you, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably wrong. I screw this up all the time or, you know, he just, <laughs> but he, but you know, he could be very self-deprecating, but he could be really cutting and, and, you know, he, he had the thing about Jim is he could be, he was very adept at drawing sympathy from listeners where he could take shots and really personal shots sometimes at people just left and right. And he'd always do it under the guise of, ah, I'm just kidding, buddy. You know, a little elbow, <laughs> like, Hey, I love you, man. But it, what he said was like, Whoa, dude, what, where did that come from? And then when you'd fire back on him, he'd, he'd be like, Oh, I know I'm an easy target and you pick <laughs> on me. I get it. You know, he all, he could be the victim very easily. And uh, listeners would be, why are you always picking on Jim? I'm like, did you hear what he just said? Did you hear what he, <laughs> did you hear the shot he just took at, at Dave or did you hear the shot he just took at Danny or yeah, so he was he was the master of that, but I, I miss him. He's a, Jim's a good dude, man. He's one of my favorites. Right on. How about uh Jessamine McIntyre? She's a pro. She's such a pro. I mean, she is just man, that she was she lived it. Um she wasn't, she wasn't anybody who just, you know, some people at any job, they show up at the time they're supposed to be there and they leave at the time they're supposed to leave. And then that's where it ends. And then they start the next day. She was all about it. Like she just, she lived the show. She lived sports. You know, it was a 24 seven thing with her. She was, she's great, phenomenal guest booker. She would just, she always had ideas, you know, like, Hey, who can we talk to about this story? Or who, who can we talk to about that story? You know, sometimes you struggle with it. Like, yeah, who'd be a good person? To, you know, she just, she, hey, I already put in a call to this guy. He's coming on at this time. And I already got a call into this guy. And they're going to join us to talk about that. It's just, she was just always ahead of it. And and uh, she was, she's just a bulldog, man. She was just an absolute pro who, who just was uh, relentless. Absolutely relentless. Outstanding. I agree with that. How about Danny O'Neill? <laughs> Danny is uh Another guy that I absolutely love, who I still talk to uh, on a fairly regular basis, who um, another guy who's very self-deprecating. Um, we, we, we both have a mutual love of MMA. We were doing a podcast together for a while, an MMA podcast. Um, Danny is, is, is uh, man, his cackle would make me laugh. You know, he's, <laughs> he's a guy who loves to laugh. He's, Danny, is, Danny is one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's, he's a, a, an incredibly bright intelligent guy you know and i think that comes through anyway i don't think i'm breaking news here but he's just he's a he's a guy who 
I really admired how he was able to articulate his thoughts. There would be there are times you're, you're trying to say something, you want to get this message out. You don't, you have trouble putting the words together at times. And I would listen to him explain something or, or express his thoughts on something. And, and I just remember thinking, man, I wish I would have said that, or I wish I said it that way, you know, or I thought, I wish I could have thought of it that way or, or had that angle on it. So he's just, he's just, he's got a really quick mind. He's got a really, He's, he's a fun guy, he's self-deprecating, and, and nobody loves a, a, just a cheesy pun more than him. He, <laughs> yeah. if, if he didn't make you roll your eyes and just go, oh, for the love of God, man, then he failed. If he got that reaction out of you, he, he would cackle that much like, yes, I won. I, you know, I got you to just roll your eyes and just shake your head. That, like he just Nobody loves just a cheesy pun more than Danny O'Neill. <laughs> Agreed. I, I'll, I'll just do three more real quick. How, how about Tom Wassell? Uh, Tom, Tom's a, he's a unique character, man. I still talk to Tom. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy who would, um, he would always find a really unique angle on stories, yeah. you know, whether it was, Hey, what do you, what do you think of Geno Smith? You know, and we would, you know, I'd come at it and go, man, blown away, blah, 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 you know, have my opinion on it. And then he would just, he would always find an angle that I hadn't thought of. Like, huh, it didn't mean I always agreed with it, but I would just be, sometimes I'd be like, wow, how did you even think of that? Where did that come from? <laughs> or, you know, but he's, Tom's another guy who's, who was really smart. He's very intense. Um, you know, sometimes there would be, there would be friction, you know, people that listen to the show heard it on the air. Uh, but sometimes that's good. You know, yeah. he, he was not, he was not afraid to, to challenge sort of conventional opinion or thought. And he would, he would, uh, he was sort of fearless in that way, even if he's getting criticized by his co-host or criticized by the listeners on the text or whatever, he, he was pretty fearless and he would, if anything, it'd make him dig his deals in even more. So um, he, he just, he, I'd say Tom's really unique in, in the way he approached it. And I thought it was it was really cool. It was very refreshing because it's easy to sort of get caught up in the cliches and the, you know, Hey, they just got to put their head down and, you know, get this thing done and really focus and throw out all that. And he would, he'd kind of come from a different angle more often than not. And I, and I really respected that. <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, ta uh, Dave Wyman. Yeah, Dave, Dave's my guy. Uh, Dave, I, I think, you know, Dave's a humble guy, you know, that's his humility sometimes is surprising. You know, I'm like, he'll, he'll make fun of his career. He'll make fun of, you know, what kind of a player he was. And I, I feel like I'm always the one going, Dave, you played at the highest level there is in your sport for almost a decade, you know, and, and this isn't a shot at Brock or bump. And I'm like, listen, bump didn't play, didn't have that career. Brock didn't have that career. Jay keeps didn't have that career. You had that career. You know, all these guys have some level of NFL connection, to different extents, but the most accomplished of the bunch, and it's not close, is Dave Wyman. And but you wouldn't know that by the way he sort of refers to his career, and I always always make fun of him for not keeping any of his mementos. You know, I'm like, hey, where where what do you do with your jerseys or your footballs or your helmets, the game balls you won? He's like, ah, I don't know, they're in storage somewhere. And I'm just <laughs> like, just come on, man, why wouldn't you display that somewhere? Why wouldn't you put? Yeah. That? I mean, you should be proud of that. They're very. There are very few people in this world that can say they've done what you've done. I mean, that's a that's a very small group of people who's who's ever played at that level, much less sustained a career at that level. So 
you know, Dave is, Dave's, uh, he's, he's, he's got a good heart. He's a smart guy, obviously Stanford grad. Uh, but he's, he's a guy who's sort of eager to learn. Like he always still, even after all this time, doesn't look at himself as, as being good at radio. You know, I'm not a radio guy. I'm a football player. You know, I'm like, you've been doing this for over a decade now. You're a radio guy. You're a media guy, as much as you may hate hearing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's sort of a sponge. He's sort of eager to learn. He's talked about, you know, I wasn't really a huge baseball fan. I didn't really follow it, but he's kind of been sucked into it. And he's, he likes to talk about it. And he, you know, he's eager to learn whatever it is. He feels like he doesn't know that well. And, and uh, yeah, he's kind of got that thirst for knowledge in, in things that, you know, maybe he wasn't that into while he was in his football career, he was, he was, you know, sort of tunnel vision on football you know, as a broadcaster, he's, he's grown so much. And, and, uh, you know, so as a professional broadcaster, he's, he's, I love working with him as a, as a personal individual, you know, he's, he's one of my great friends and, uh, absolute respect for Dave Wyman. Love the guy. Nice. Uh, last but not least the late, great professor, John Clayton. Yeah, John, man. Uh, you know, what's funny is I've known John a long time. When I started out at KJR, as I told you, they were giving me different opportunities to do updates here and there. And then I started doing a weekend show. <coughs> Excuse me. They put me on right after his show. So he was on, I, I, God, I'm trying to remember what time he was on. I think he was nine to noon. And then I'd be on like noon to two or noon to three. Mm-hmm. So there was always that crossover. And you know, I would see his wife, Pat, in the sports pit out there. I'd be prepping for my show, and she'd be out there, and I would talk to her. And, and man, I always remember going home and telling my dad, like, yeah, so I was talking to John Clayton today. And, you know, for me, it was, as a sports fan, it was such a big deal because he felt like he was larger than life because I watched him on ESPN. And especially back then, you know, Schefter wasn't around, and, you know, it wasn't Peter King, and it wasn't, you know, all the guys, Ian Rappaport and those. They weren't around, Albert Breer. They weren't there. It was John Clayton and Chris Mortensen. Those were the guys. And he, uh, the one thing about John is he never, he never talked down. He never acted like he was above you or anything. He, he couldn't have been more gracious to me as a, as a kid coming up in this business and asking him questions. And he never acted like I was bugging him. And I, you know, I'm somebody who asks a lot of questions. So I would, I would often just pepper him with questions. And what about this guy? Hey, have you ever talked to this? You know, I was like a fanboy, Uh, but he was, he was always incredibly gracious and we became friends. And even when I left, when I moved to Chicago and then LA and St. Louis, I would, anytime I called him, he would come on the show. You know, he'd be like, nice. you know, Hey John, man, I want to talk about blah, blah, blah. You got any time this week? He goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you want. Just tell me what time. Oh. And he, he was just, he couldn't have been uh, more gracious with his time and, and his knowledge and, you know, and then obviously working with him as closely as, as closely as we did here, you know, every day, we talked to him every day at four o'clock. Yeah. And, you know, he's another guy who kind of like Danny, he loved to throw out the goofy, goofy pun. He got such a kick out of it. And the thing about John is if, if he made you laugh with something, he'd repeat it. Like you'd hear it over and over and over <laughs> every time you talk to him. Like he, I remember we... We were talking about Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, and uh, they had been on hard knocks or something. And I, w- I remember saying to him, like, John, you know, I don't know if you watch this, but man, he just seems like a likable guy. And I could see why players like playing for him. And then all of a sudden it turned into the Lions are my favorite team. According to him, he's like, well, you know, the Lions, your favorite team, the Lions. 
And I, you know, first couple times I laughed and then he just kept doing it. So anytime he mentioned the lions after that, it was like, well, and then of course, Bob's favorite team, the lions. I was like, okay, okay. So, you know, he just, that was a sense of humor and, and yeah. he just, he, he loved, he loved what he did. I mean, he loved the listeners. He loved his Saturday show. He didn't have to do that Saturday show. He was yeah. working five days a week around the clock. He's doing segments on all our shows. He's doing segments around the country, Sirius XM. He couldn't talk enough football, but that Saturday show meant the world to him because he did it forever. He had his regular callers that he would have on there every single week. And it meant the world to him. And he was just, he was a very, very generous guy. Like I said, even, even when I was, he had no idea who I was. He just saw I was in the building at KJR and I'm asking him questions and he didn't, he didn't shoo me aside. He didn't shun me. Hey kid, I, I don't have time. I got to do it. You know what I mean? He was always just like, he was always your buddy. You know, he was, he's a really genuinely nice guy. Nice. That's awesome. And being, and speaking of generous, you, Bob Stelton have been incredibly generous with your time. Yes. I really appreciate, you know, no, no worries, man. Appreciate you being on this uh, show. We always, like to end this show with some shout outs, but first, Bob, um, where can people find you? Uh, and on both on the air and on social media. Uh, well on the air, uh, 7, 10 AM Seattle sports station on 7:10. So 7, 10 AM from, uh, 2 PM to 7 PM Monday through Friday, Wyman and Bob. And then, uh, on social media, on Twitter at Bob Stelton on Twitter. Uh, and then, I do have Instagram, but I'm not very active on it. <laughs> I think I think I think I'm at Bob underscore Stelton on Instagram. Uh, I need to get more active on that. Though. Twitter's my Twitter's my main uh, my main source of communication and everything. And we'll see if it remains that way. I don't know what kind of changes are coming with Elon and everything. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, as of now, yeah, at Bob Stelton on Twitter. Awesome. And as per tradition, we will end with our shout outs. And I'm going to go ahead and get this started. Shout out to uh, my friend, Alex Mistress, who will be getting her master's in education at the University of Miami. And over to you, Brian. I, I know I got to limit this. So I guess two. You get it. two. I get two. All <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to give a shout out. Hopefully this isn't a cheap plug, but to former Sonic Xavier McDaniel, who I've been talking to and He's hopefully going to be a future guest on our Seattle Sports Union podcast here in a few weeks. So I appreciate that. And then last shout out I want to give out to is uh, we had Ashley Adamson from the Pac-12 Network back in August. I mean, great lady. And hopefully we get more women on the show because there's a lot of women, great women uh, sportscasters out there like, I mean, back in the day, I was friends with the sports babe. I mean, you, you might have known the sports babe, Bob. I don't know. but mm -hmm. Yeah, Nancy. Nancy, yep. And yep. hopefully, I mean, I, I listened to Stacy Ross with you today. You guys had some great material on the radio. And Elisa Charleston from Fox 13. So just want, I, I just want to give a shout out to the ladies of sports. I mean, I think they're doing a great job. Bob, care to give a shout out? Uh. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it to two guys. Two, I've got two good friends who are um, who are stand-up comedians, and they're both uh, fairly regular on our show. Uh, one of them is Craig Gass, who's just a master impressionist. Oh, yeah. He's a great yeah. stand-up comedian. Uh, he's on the Howard Stern show. Uh, his his mom's in ill health right now, um, and I know he's dealing with a lot. So 
certainly a shout out to Craig, who's a, who's a really good dude and a really talented, funny guy. And then my other buddy, who I just went to his wedding in Arizona uh, two weeks ago, Adam Ray, who who uh, joins our show often, has become a, a, a listener favorite. Um, just incredibly generous with his time all the time. He listens to our show wherever he's at in the world. He was at, you know, filming, uh, he's on that show, The Young Rock with Dwayne The Rock. Okay. Um, he's on that show playing uh, Vince McMahon, uh, but they were filming in Australia and he's listening to our show on the app and he's constantly texting in and and uh, he's become a really good friend of mine and, uh, and, and one of the more generous people you'd ever meet in your life and humble despite the... Uh, the amount of success he's he's currently having. So shout out to both those guys. I feel and like to you guys for having me on. Oh. <laughs> I, love, I love this stuff. Back at you. Thank you. And thank you, Bob Stelton. My name is Abraham Deuce. On behalf, on behalf of Brian, the Soul Man, Soul Black, we are the Seattle Sports Union. Check us out at seattlesportsunion.com as well. Check us check out all of our great podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Captivate FM as well. Check out all our great social media posts on Twitter at Seattle Sports U and Facebook. Like us. We're likable, aren't we, Brian? Absolutely, 100%. That's what my mom tells me. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>